Welcome to the Living Hope Podcast. Living Hope Fellowship is a church located in Lexington, Kentucky. You'll find that we're more than just a church, but we're also a family. You can learn more about the ministries of Living Hope Fellowship at www.lhfellowship.com. Now, here's today's message. Let's jump right into the scripture this morning and take a look at it from God's Word and see uh, and see the account of that real quick. Okay, so we're in Luke chapter 24, and again, we are, uh, we are in verse number 13 this morning. We're going to pick up there. What has happened in verses 1 through 12 is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the account of the first Easter morning. And so what we see in verse number 13, it says, now that same day. So what day are we dealing with? Easter Sunday, the most, glorif- the most glorious day, the day where God has shown his power over death and the grave, immediately after that happens, what happens? There are some people in the world that are beginning to doubt whether Jesus is truly the Messiah. So let's look at this. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing or reasoning together, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. There could be a lot of reasons they may not have noticed that it was Jesus. It could have been that Jesus was like somehow spiritually in some sort of incognito type of thing. It could have been, it could have been that they were so like just, just, just completely distraught with their doubt that they were so focused on themselves and their discouragement that they didn't even take time to notice who it was. We don't know. So then he asked them, what is the dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and they looked at him discouraged. The one that was named Cleopas answered him and said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that has happened there in these days? Like, where have you been, man? Don't you have Twitter? Right? What things, he asked them. So they said to him the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And they said this, but we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. So it says, we were hoping. So it says that they had already began to plant seeds of faith. They had already begun to trust that he was, but they had not completely come to the place where they had placed complete faith. They still needed to see a little bit more. Catch that? Besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body they came and reported they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive and some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but they didn't see him that's important and he said to them how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken wasn't it necessary for the messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going to go on further. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it was as he reclined at the table, meaning eating dinner, that he took bread, and he he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And in verse number 31, it says, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But then he disappeared from their sight. And they said to each other, wasn't our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Holy Spirit, this time that we have left this morning, I pray that you would speak through your word. You've spoken through, your, uh, through a testimony of, of one of your followers this morning. Lord, we look to your word now to speak through your word 
Teach us, God. Change us from the inside out this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so a big piece of Scripture. We're going to look at the result of that here in just a minute and and, uh, a little bit more in Luke. But we've been looking this uh, this month at how when Jesus touches your life, he changes it completely. We see these two men that had begun, it looked like they had begun to think that Jesus had changed their life because they had gone to Jerusalem, they had seen him, they had done all these things, but had they really completely been changed yet? Right? We've been dealing with this, this truth from 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verse seven, or 5, verse 17, that says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? The old has passed away and the new has come. What that means is if we're truly changed by Christ, then we're changed from death to life. We're changed from broken to blessed. We're changed from defeated to victorious. We're changed from hopeless to hopeful. We're changed from walking in darkness to walking in light. The change is instant too. It's not something that just progressively happens. Does God progressively sanctify us? Yes. But does when the moment we get saved, he takes us from being dead to being alive, and we will never be more alive than we are the moment we are saved. We can't be more saved than the very moment we're saved. When God saves us, he saves us completely, inside and out and fully. There is nothing more that we need to do to be more saved than we are the moment that we call on him, God be merciful to me, a sinner. God saves us. The moment we place our faith and our trust in him, it's instant, right? But some of you might be here, just kind of like what Katie was talking about this morning, you may have identified with this is that even though the change is instant, you may be struggling right now thinking, I don't know if you're wrestling with that change. Do I necessarily feel as though I'm all that different? Do I necessarily feel that I'm, very, I'm victorious? Do I feel like I'm being blessed? Do I feel like I'm really walking in the light? Sometimes we don't always feel like we should, but does it change the fact that we are His? It doesn't. It, doesn't, it also doesn't change the promises of God. How I feel about the promises of God doesn't change the validity of the promises of God. How I feel about whether I believe what the Word says doesn't change whether the Word is true. You see, you might be struggling to feel victorious or blessed because your world right now seems like it's filled with darkness. You might be a spark of light in the darkness, but it feels like the darkness is winning. Because the reality of this present world or what you're going through just seems to keep on pressing in and it keeps on seeming to take its toll and it seems like the temptations of this world don't seem to roll off of you like Teflon like some of the other spiritual giants claim they do. You know what bugs me is when I meet a person that says, you know what, sin don't even tempt me no more, I'm so holy. (laughs) Right, you just lied, right? (laughs) Oh, if I could be as humble as you, right? He's definitely dealing with a little bit of human... See, it's easy to look at the fact that we're a new creation and think that new means easy. Whoever told you that the moment you come to Christ, all your problems goes away, lied. You've opened the door for some new problems, actually. But what you've also opened the door to is hope. What you've also opened the door to is the fact that you are now part of the family of God. And he is with you and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And the promises of this word remain true. Regardless of how dark the world may get around us, the light of the, of the truth of God's word will always prevail over that. See, new doesn't necessarily mean everything is wonderful. New means that I'm hope-filled. It means a new source in the middle of the brokenness. It means a way of seeing things related to this present world in the eyes of eternity and in the eyes of the victory that we have in Christ. And that's the case that these two men were dealing with on the Emmaus Road. 
See, they had, they had seen Jesus. They went to Jerusalem and, and all of that stuff, and they had seen all these things. And I want us to kind of get in the headspace of the guys that went to Emmaus, all right? You don't have the benefit of having the New Testament to read because it's still like in the works. It's still happening at this point. So you don't have the benefit of being able to pick up and read the story of the resurrection or read the epistles because it hasn't been published yet. You don't have the benefit of the newspaper or TV or Twitter to keep up with the events of the day. So you rest on word of mouth and what you're told or what you see. So when you start to hear all of these stories about seven miles away from Jerusalem about what Jesus is doing and the miracles he's performing and the things he's saying and what he's teaching and the people that are following him, you're thinking, man, I've got to see this guy in order to believe it. Because you've been waiting for generations for the Messiah to finally show up and you're hoping against hope that this might be the guy. So what do you do? When Passover comes around, just like every good devout Jew, you make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to be there for that time. And as you go, the minute you come to Jerusalem, you find that all these people are shouting out Hosanna and they're laying palm branches upon, upon this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who's riding in there on a donkey. Maybe you go grab a palm branch and you join in the fun and then you watch him for the next week as you see all of these things take place. What takes place? He goes into the temple and he overturns the, overturns the money changers' tables and he starts to really tick off the Pharisees and the scribes and all the religious leaders and you start to see that there's just something brewing there in Jerusalem. You've heard all these stories and you begin to start to follow Jesus and hear what he's saying and you hear the messages and you see the miracles and all of that stuff and then Friday comes. And what happens then? <laughs> he's, taken, he's taken before Pilate and, there, and you watch it as, people, as Pilate says, hey, do you want Barabbas, a known killer, or do you want Jesus to be set free? And they watch everybody say, we want Barabbas. What do we do with Jesus? And they shout out, crucify him. And then you follow up to Calvary. You watch him nailed on a cross. You watch him suffer. You feel the earth shake. You watch the skies go dark. You hear Jesus cry out, it is finished. All of these things take place. But, and you watch all this and you're thinking, the one that was able to walk on water, the one that was able to heal the sick, the one that was able to heal the blind, the one that had all authority to speak in such a way, why didn't he save himself? Why was Rome and why, was the, why were the Jewish elite allowed to be able to take his life? And you're left with a little bit of disillusionment. Three days pass, you're wondering what's going to go on, and you hear about some of these people, some women said, hey, we went over to the tomb and he wasn't there. And the guys, they run over and they say, well, yeah, he's not there, but we didn't see him. So you're kind of left going, okay, uh, this doesn't happen all the time. So you're left to decide, is what I put my faith in actually real? Is what I put my faith in actually real or not? And this is where a lot of people are with Jesus today. Can you imagine as they're walking back on the road to Emmaus, they're probably thinking, was I being dumb? Was I being fooled? Was I being duped? Or is this the real thing? And they're beginning to think, what's going on? And they're disappointed and they're dejected and they're brokenhearted because they thought, that's what they said in our text, we thought he might be the one. But at this point, they basically decided, no, nah, he was just another fake in the long line of fakes. And the reason for that was because they hadn't lined up what Jesus had done and who Jesus was with who the Bible said he would be. They'd all gone on what they felt and just what they saw. So the question is this. If Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't appear to the ones who were the closest to him, he must not be alive. He must not have resurrected. And as Pastor Chris said to the kids this morning, believing in the resurrection of Christ is what separates Christianity from all other religions out there. 
that Jesus lives today, that's important. Yes, Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, but the fact that he rose from the dead gives us victory over the grave. And so what they're struggling with is, can I trust in the resurrected Christ if there's no proof, of, if there's no proof yet? All I've got to go on is hearsay, and all I've got to go on is what the promises of the word say. And this is where a lot of people are with Jesus. They've heard a lot about him. They may have actually seen God do a lot of cool things through other people. God, they may have seen God do some things in their life, but they're all going on what they've heard. They're still in the same places that these two men were in. They haven't truly met Jesus yet. They haven't truly come to the place where they've placed their faith in Christ and the Christ of the Scriptures. You see, it's not until they meet Him that everything changes. So I want to look very quickly because I know our time is short this morning. I want to kind of just kind of skim over this. First thing that we learn from this passage that we have to apply to our lives is this, is that Jesus, the Son of God, cares for our discouraged hearts. He cares for us in the midst of our discouragement. See, we can get real wrapped up in church life to be like, man, I'm so faithful. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm so faithful I ain't got a problem. Well, we're lying when we do that because we all go through seasons of discouragement, don't we? We all go through seasons when we look at God and we say, God, can you really deliver on what you've promised? Or God, you promised this, but it doesn't look like you're coming through on this. See, one thing, one thing about God's promises is they don't always have a deadline on them. Yeah, I remember what my father-in-law used to say, God's payday is not always on Friday, right? He made the promise. What we're supposed to do is trust the promise. We don't wait to trust the promise after the promise has already been fulfilled because now that's just common sense. That's not faith, you see? See, Christ cares for the heart of the discouraged. Look back at verse number 15 again. It says, while they were discussing, discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near. First of all, that's important. Jesus came near to them and he began to walk along with them, but they didn't recognize him. And then when he asked and they stopped walking and they looked at him and it says, the Bible says that they were discouraged. Did you ever notice that some of those saddest words in the English language begin with the letter D? Discouragement, depression, disillusionment, dejection, right? Despair, death, duke. Sorry, sorry that one. And, and in my family, Derek, <laughs> right? Some of the saddest words begin with the letter D. And it says they were walking along and they looked discouraged. They looked depressed. They looked dejected. All of these words can be summed up in the words of Cleopas when he said this. He says, we thought and we had hoped that he would be the Messiah, but now he must not be. They had already come to the thoughts of he must not be the Messiah. He just must not be, Right? Verses 14 and 15 tell us they're walking along reason, which means that they were probably quoting Scripture, quoting the prophecies of the Messiah, trying to make sense of what they'd seen and trying to work through all of this. And what they were beginning to start was another sad word, was deconstruction. They were beginning to deconstruct from their faith and beginning to think, I don't know if God is really who, I don't know if Jesus is really who he said he was. See, because they're thinking in their minds, the master who had been able to heal the sick, the master who had been able to walk on water, the master who had been able to make the lame man walk, the master who had been able to do all that, couldn't be master enough of himself to save his own life. He could raise another person to life, but he couldn't save his own because they had doubted the resurrection. They hadn't seen it yet. They hadn't seen the proof of it yet, so they doubted it. See, how do you make sense of something like that? How do you, how do you still have faith when everything that you see and experience seems to give you evidence that you're wrong? This is what a lot of people struggle with with the Christian faith. How am I supposed to bear everything and lay my whole life down for something 
that makes no absolute sense to everything else that I see. Everything I see in life bears evidence to the fact that I'm crazy or I'm wrong. And here's what the Bible says, that it's, the gospel is foolishness to those who perish. See, if we want to make it make sense, we're going to spend our entire life in frustration before we ever come to faith. See, before you get down on these guys too much, we have to understand that even Peter didn't believe it all right away. See, the very verse before we started in 13, if you look back at verse number 12, the Bible says Peter goes to the tomb. He goes in, he sees the linen clothes there, and what does it say? He says, he walked away amazed. Some translations say he walked away wondering what he had seen. He still couldn't even make sense of it. So everyone that followed Christ at one point or another have come face to face with this. Can I really trust that Jesus is who he says he is? Can I take Jesus at his word? And that's where our fears, that's where our doubts, that's where our anxieties, that's where all of those things come from. Can I take him at his word? And what we see about Jesus here in this passage by what he does when he says, why are you so sad? First of all, is that he hears the hearts of the discouraged. He hears us, right? His omnipresence, his omniscience, he knew in his resurrected body, he knew that there were two guys walking on a lonely road to Emmaus, and what does he do? And all the things he probably had to do as resurrected Jesus, what does he do? He comes beside them, and he begins to spend time with them. And also that he cares about the discouraged. What are two guys wrestling with their faith? What does that matter in the grand scheme of things with Jesus? One thing I love about Jesus, what we've seen through all of, these, all of these examples so far, is that Jesus is not like this macro savior. He's not just a big universe. He is. He can save all, but he cares enough to get right down to the individual. He came to Jericho for Zacchaeus. He went to Sychar in Samaria for the Samaritan woman. Right? He cares about us individually as well. And he cares about our discouragement. The other thing that Christ does is he listens to the cry of the hopeless. He cares about the heart of discouragement, but he listens to the cry of the hopeless as well. In verses 18 through 24, see, Christ takes time to listen to the man explain their story. See, if I'm Jesus at this moment, I'm thinking, I got a lot of things to do before I go back to heaven. So I'm going to get down here real quick. I'm going to swoop in. I'm going to set these guys straight, and then I'm going to get on to what else I do. But what does Jesus do? He walks along the way with them, seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, seven miles at what, two and a half mile clip? That's probably three hours, something like that. He listens to them tell their story. He listens to them, to, to, to them wrestle with their faith right here. He doesn't just jump in real quick with them, right? And this is some good advice to all of us. Is that he's teaching us to listen to the hurting before we jump in with the fix. We need to have a listening ear a lot of times too, to listen to the hurting. You know you can learn a lot about people and you can learn a lot you can earn a lot of credibility to be able to bring the gospel into the conversation if we just listen to the pain because the more we become aware of the pain the more Jesus becomes the glaring answer to the pain as well we have to remember the importance of listening too often we want to just jump right in and we want to be heard rather than to hear other people and Christ showed us it's important when dealing with those to listen to their hurt See, part of the healing process, too, many counselors will tell you this, part of the healing process is being able to work through and name and voice the pain that you're in to come to full realization of that. Now, some of you are probably thinking, if you're like me, like, man, that's a waste of time. I got the answer. Let me give you the answer, and let's just get this thing fixed. Even Jesus, the one who was the answer himself, took the time to hear the pain. It's also what he invites us to do more than once in Scripture as well. Jesus doesn't just say, get it right, because 
He's the great counselor. And what he does is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he says, cast all your cares, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He welcomes us. He says, come to me, all of you that are weary and are heavy laden, weary and worn out, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. It's only after the men explain their sorrow and explain their disillusionment that Jesus begins to shed light on that. And here's what the great counselor says in verse number 25. How foolish you are. <laughs> how many of you would go to a counselor that after you pour out your heart just says, well, you're just a doggone fool, right? This is what Jesus did. No, He says, how foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. How do we respond to someone calling us a fool? But this is what Jesus basically says. You've been foolish. If we're all honest with ourselves, aren't a lot of our problems and doubts brought on by foolishness? By choosing to look at other things? By choosing to look at other scenarios rather than to look at the truth of God? How many times have we played the fool when it comes to our faith? And how many times have we ignored the promises in His Word and it took us down a road to discouragement? And it took us down a road to doubt? Took, a ro- took us down a road to disbelief? So, Again, why didn't Jesus reveal who he was right then and there? He put them in a place that we all have to come in as well. We have to get to a place where we're willing to believe before we have the proof. We have to get to the place where we have to believe without seeing. We have to trust and take God at his word. See, we're told in Hebrews that we have to have a faith that doesn't include seeing. That faith is the entry-level requirement for being a disciple that pleases God. And not only is it what's required for, for coming to Christ, but it's also what's required for living in Christ as well. Look at what it says in Hebrews eleven six. 6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. But here's what faith really boils down to. Look what it says in verse number 1 of Hebrews. 11 says now faith is the assurance or it's the substance of things that we hope for and it's the convictions of things that we don't see a lot of people say man i'll believe it when i see it you ever heard that one right or and and this is why many people struggle and many people even even christians we struggle in our faith sometimes we struggle with our doubts because we are a prove it to me rather than i'll trust you i'll believe it when i see it that doesn't work in the christian life so god's looking for our faith to trust him And our faith must be something that we offer before we get the real proof of it. See, because for these guys, it wasn't until after they had spent the time in the Word with Jesus. Now, the Bible tells us that the next thing that Christ does is He spends time to address our doubts with truth. That Christ addresses each one of our doubts. Not only He cares about our, our loneliness, He cares about our hurt, He cares about our hopelessness, but He addresses each one of those things, each one of our doubts, with the truth of God's Word. Look what it says in our text. It says in verse number 27, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. These men were experiencing some real doubt, right? And again, what we were talking about with Katie a minute ago, sometimes we think faith is defined as the absence of doubt. That's not what faith is. Faith is trust in the face of every doubt that flies your way. That's what faith really is. It's faith in the face. It's, it's, it's trusting in something over all of the other options, saying, this is my hope. This is my hope. It's not an absence of doubt. Matter of fact, a faith that can't be tested is one that can't be trusted. Sometimes people say, I got faith, and God's, God's been good to me every step of the way. Sometimes 
sometimes a faith that hasn't been tested is not really a hardened faith yet. It's not really a stable faith. See, Jesus combats the doubts with the truth of God's word. Remember that our hope diminishes and gives way to doubt when disappointment sets in, right? So look what it says in verse number six of chapter 14 of John. It says, Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So what did Jesus do for these men on the road to Emmaus? He kept pointing them to the only way that they would have their answers given, to put their eyes on the promises of God and on the fact that Jesus has fulfilled that promise. He starts all the way back in Genesis, the Bible says, and goes all the way through the prophets to unravel the entire story or the entire mystery of, of Jesus as they walk along the road. So the journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus is probably about, is about seven miles. So if you're walking about a two and a half mile hour cliff, that's three hours. So Jesus preaches to them for about three hours, and you thought me and Pastor Chris were long-winded right? Preaches, but preaches Genesis all the way through the end of the prophets and basically says, here are all the promises of the Messiah. Look at the promises. Are the promises true? And has Jesus fulfilled those promises? And if he's fulfilled every single one of them, what makes you doubt that he's fulfilled the promise of resurrection? What makes you forget that? Right? And he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father, of, Father but by me. See, Jesus is the truth, and when he comes to us, he comes to us with truth. He doesn't just come to us with feelings. He doesn't just come to us with, with things that, that, that will just grab us to over here, and he doesn't come to you with a different truth than he comes with somebody else. He gives us the truth. Here's the truth. We are lost. We need to be saved, and he's the only one who can. And that's the truth. And what Jesus laid out before those men that day, all the proof you need is right here. What will meet your discouragement is faith that I'm the hope. See, it's the truth that ignites change in our hearts. It's the truth that gives us hope and salvation and a risen Savior. It's the truth that gives us confidence to walk in, in faith in Him. And it's the truth that gives us the boldness to proclaim the gospel. And the truth is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. But you see, sometimes we still struggle in that, right? It was, we get this reverse sometimes. See, it wasn't the sight of Jesus that gave them faith. It was their faith in the word of God that gave them sight of Jesus. It was their faith in trusting God's promises that opened their eyes to the fact that Jesus was the one. The Bible says that it wasn't until they're sitting in his home and he breaks bread that their eyes are opened. Why? Because they had come to that point where they had already settled in their hearts and minds that Jesus was the Christ that was promised to them. It was only when they had faith in the promise of God that their eyes were open to that. See, we get it, we get it backwards too. We think many times, I gotta see in order to trust. But we have to trust in order to see. We have to trust in order to see. And I love that song that we sing sometimes here that says, give me faith to trust what you say. You know that song, give me faith to trust what you say because you're good and your love is great. So I'm broken inside and I give you my life. And then that chorus says, I may be weak, but your spirit is strong in me. Look, church, we gotta understand we're gonna come up, we're gonna come up on Emmaus Road moments where we are doubting and this is what we have to say. God, give me the faith to trust what you've said already. I don't need new proof. I need to be reminded of what you've already promised. I need to be reminded and I need to revisit the promises you've already given me. There was a, another person who, who went to Jesus and said, Lord, help my unbelief. We don't pray that enough. Many times when we pray, when we're in the midst of struggle and we're in the midst of disillusionment, is Lord, fix it, and then I'll, I'll trust you. We need, Lord, fix my faith to endure. Not fix my problem, make it go away, but fix my faith. 
And that's the question that we have to answer as we kind of come to the close this morning. Many of us are always looking for proof of what God can do. And, and there's proof. If we look hard enough, there's proof. A lot of times we're looking for the wrong thing. We're looking for just, just get me out of this problem or make me feel better. We come to feel better when we realize that Jesus already has us. Already has us. And see, Christ comes to those who truly desire him. These guys, they wanted a Messiah. They wanted a Messiah desperately. And Jesus came to them question is do you want him do you realize your need for a savior if you realize your need do you realize your need for a redeemer do you realize your need for someone to be with you in the midst of anxiety he will come if you will let him in they said come to us and eat with us reminds me of what revelation said in revelation 3 he says i stand at the door and i knock and if anyone will will open their door and let me in i'll come in and i'll eat with him too these men ultimately they wanted proof beyond denial but what God says is you've got to trust me in the moments where all your, all, your, all your sinful heart wants to do is deny that. So as we bow our heads and we close our eyes this morning, <clears throat> I ask you just a couple of questions. Are you looking for proof before you can believe? Because if you are, you will continue to lead to frustration. But are you looking for a Savior? You'll find Him in Jesus. You might be here and say, hey, I'm saved. But kind of like Katie, like I, I just go through times where I doubt or where I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by fear. And it's not that I trust that God can do it. I just trust that he will. Well, if he's promised that he will be with you, he's with us. So lay our hope and trust in him. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would move in this time. And Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about having a fulfilling relationship with Jesus Christ, or you would like to know more about our church, you can visit us again at our website, lhfellowship.com. Or if you would like and you are in the Lexington area, please feel free on Sundays to stop by and worship with us. Our services are held each Sunday at 1015 a.m. We would love to see you there. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.